You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay, good afternoon and welcome to today's class. Today we are having a class. In today's class we're going to cover Rosh Hashanah as Rosh Hashanah is coming up. So... We are going to talk about Rosh Hashanah and also a reminder that next week is Rosh Hashanah. So if you want to hear the class, it's not going to be live on person. I mean, on the Facebook. You're going to have to come in person to hear what we have to say, right, in honor of Rosh Hashanah. So here we go. This was the, uh, you know, today we're going to talk about three great ways, or four great ways, I should say, to get ready for a new year and to have a wonderful blessing for the year ahead. So let's start off with the following story that was going around. 1985, Samarkand. You know where Samarkand is? That Samarkand is uh, in Uzbekistan. The capital city is Tashkent. Samarkand is the next second largest city with a lot of Jews there. There's a Bukharian Jew by the name of Yitzchak Mushayev who was a truck driver. And in Samarkand, he used to travel thousands of kilometers every day, uh, taking merchandise from one place to the next. And one time he was going across the different borders. And as you know, when you go across the borders there, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, every, every hundred kilometers is probably another border. And you have to declare how much stuff you have, how much material you have in your, in your truck to be able to pay the taxes for it. And he happened to be carrying, hauling tea that he was taking from one place to the next, and he had documented that the amount of tea that he was carrying was a ton of tea. The inspector at the truck stop, where they're checking him for the taxes, tells him pull over, and he goes over and he sees that he's not carrying a ton of tea, but it actually comes out that he was carrying two and a half ton of tea. With that, the inspector looks at him and says, what, you're trying to steal us from a ton and a half? You know what this can end up? This can be 10 years in the gulag of Samarkand, something that not anybody wants to be pleasantly there. It's not like a, an American federal white-collar crime where they're roaming around. This was a ter- terrible sentence that may have happened. He brings him into the station in handcuffs. He brings him in front of the inspector, the chief of command over there, and he's looking through the papers about what this terrible crime that this individual did. And all of a sudden, the fellow looks at him and says, are you related to David Moshayev? Yitzchak looks at the chief and he says, yes, he happens to be my father of blessed memory. He said, what? And all of a sudden, the inspector starts to cry. He says, it's because of your father that I'm here today. He says, what do you mean? He says, your father was a professor in university where I was a student. Your father noticed that I would be coming late or missing many classes. So he called me over after class and he asked me, why are you missing so many classes? So I told your father that I, my mother is all alone and she doesn't have, and they have a hard, and she has a hard time making a living. And therefore I work at night to be able to help support my family. Hearing that, the professor told me, he says, don't worry, continue your job. I'll make sure you pass the tests. And with that, he made sure that I got a 70 average, 80 average on every one of my tests in college, regardless if I showed up or I didn't. What happened later on was I went out to continue working. I started being one of the people that used to just collect the garbage, a custodian over here in the border control. But eventually, because of the great marks that were 
published on my grades from university, I was able to make it up, and today I am the Inspector General of the Saudi area. So the one who made me in charge, who put me in this position, is because of your father's marks that he gave for me. Take your papers, have a safe trip home. In just a week, we'll be standing in front of, kings and ki of the great King of Kings, the Almighty God, and asking us, and asking God, to inscribe us in the book of peace, prosperity, happiness, and life. We're going to be asking God as it comes the day of judgment to all of a sudden turn the other way and give us a wonderful year. But one second, isn't there judgment? Isn't there something called fairness? Isn't there something called that you get what you pay for, so to speak? Isn't there something called if you behave, if you deserve it, you get it, or you don't deserve it, you don't get it? Why all of a sudden will we be standing in front of God asking God to inscribe us in the book of judgment? Are we deserving of it or not? Do we deserve it or don't we deserve it? What's it going to make a difference? Why are we praying and asking for something to circumvent the law? So today we're going to talk about four special ways how we can find ourselves meritorious in judgment and make sure that we are all insured and inscribed in the book of life, peace, and happiness. And how are we going to do that? Do you know that once there was a, uh, in the early 60s and 70s, there was a Shabbaton in Crown Heights that the students from all different universities would come over and after Shabbos they would have a private audience with the Rebbe and they were given the opportunity that they were able to ask any question that they would like. And one of these students asked the following question. And he asked the question and said, Rabbi, we hear about you that you make miracles. Is it true? The Rebbe looked at them and said, it's true. And guess what? You can do it too. They said, what? What do you mean you can do it too? The Rebbe said, yes. Every single one of us, when we pray, when we do a mitzvah, has the ability to transform and change the trajectory of what may happen. So too. We all, every single one of us, has that opportunity when we pray to change that trajectory of what would happen and how it would work. So therefore, we are up to our situation where we come to the month of Tishrei, where we are standing before God on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We have the ability to change that trajectory. We have the ability to decide where it's going to happen, how it should happen, and what our case should be like. And today, by looking at these four clues that we are given, these four tips will help us overcome and, God willing, be victorious in judgment. So let's start with number one. The same way we stand in front of, in judgment, in front, go in front of a king, in front of a judge, and ask them to... Uh, help us to be able to be victorious. The same idea is also every single one of us are standing in front of the king when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. This week's Torah reading begins with the words, Atem Nitzavim Hayom, we stand here today in front of God. Whenever the Torah reading uses the terminology Hayom, the Zohar says this refers to the day, the special day of Rosh Hashanah. We are now standing before Rosh Hashanah and therefore as we read this Torah reading every single year before Rosh Hashanah reminds us and tells us that we are standing in front of the day, the day with God blesses every single one of us to have a wonderful year ahead. But it's that day that we are standing in awe and in judgment. We find this terminology used in other places as well. In the book of Job, we find that there's a story where the Torah tells us 
the book of Job tells us that there was that day, Hayom, and the people came in front of God and the prosecution also came. And God said, look, you angels, how do you behave this way? Look at Job and his family, they're behaving perfectly. And the prosecution comes along and says, eh, he's only behaving that way because he has everything that he needs. Things are going easy for him. And that's when God says to the prosecution, go try him. You can challenge him, but you can't hurt him. You can do everything else. And with that, Job is given so many different types of terrible challenges. But he overcomes them all and his commitment to God stays. Another, another hint we find to the same thing we find in the Torah reading of Rosh Hashanah, where we read, And it was that day in the Haftorah where Elkanah takes his wife Hannah, they go up to the Holy Temple for Rosh Hashanah. Even though at that time, and even though that we know according to the Torah, Rosh Hashanah is not necessarily one of the holidays where one is obligated to go to the Holy Temple. It was only Passover, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Still in all, in that time, Elkanah used to do things especially beyond the letter of the law, especially when it came to going to visit the Holy Temple, as there was another Holy Temple which used to cause people to serve idolatry and to be able to, dis- to show the difference of the Temple of Micha to the Temple of the true temple of the Jewish people, Elkanah made it his mission to go around and to tell Jewish people, to gather groups of people, to go up to the Holy Temple and make pilgrimage to the Holy Temple. But at the time, the Torah tells us, where uh, Elkanah comes there, and that's where Hannah asks and begs of God to be able to have a child, which eventually she does, the prophet of Shmuel. Over here we see again the terminology, Hayom, the day, referring to Rosh Hashanah. But then we get to the further on in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. And in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, starting from the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Tol Yom Kippur, there are four things that we add in the prayers, in the actual Shmon Esrei. We say, Zachreinu l'chaim, God, remember us for life. Michamoichu is great like you, God, who does resurrection and therefore will inscribe us in the book of life. And then we get to the end of Shemona Hesrei. We spoke about this on Shabbos a little bit. We say, Uchsoiv l'chaim, and inscribe us in the, book, in the book of good life. And then we conclude the Shemona Hesrei by saying, Uvesefer chayim bracha v'sholim, and in the book of life, peace and prosperity, you should inscribe us all. And over here, one can ask a question, say, one second. You're telling God, on the day of Rosh Hashanah, inscribe me in the book of life. Excuse me, who said you deserve it? What did you do to get it? Why should you get it? Why do you deserve? You're already telling God before judgment is made inscribe you in the book of life? Where does this come from? Imagine you tell, you know, you're jumping ahead of the line. One second. Let him judge you, see how you behave, and then you'll go in there. The Torah, which was in the commentators, one of the codifiers of Jewish law says, and he puts it this way. He says it's an example about a person who puts his foot into the door. And says, can I just have an onion? Eh, an onion, big deal, deal. Get an onion. Can I have a slice of bread with it? Oh, sure, a slice of bread. No problem. Okay, I give you a slice of bread. Okay, I get a slice of bread with it. Can I just have some cheese with it too? Oh, cheese with it all. Can I get a coffee with it also? Okay. It's like we put in, we start off saying, remember us for life. Then we say, life, because you resurrect life. Then we say, good life. Then life, prosperity. So once we get our foot into the door, we start asking more. But then there's another commentator from the great rabbi, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, was the Rishon Letzion, the Sephardic chief rabbi, about 30 years ago, said the following. He said, we always give thanks to God. We say as follows. Hodu la Shem Kitov, give thanks to Almighty because He is good. 
Ki li'olam chastau, because His goodness is everlasting. Why is God's goodness everlasting? Because hodu Hashem kitov, because I give thanks to God. What causes that God's goodness should continue to prosper and grow, and that He should be able to enjoy God's kindness? Is because I give thanks. He says the same idea is also as well when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. And when it comes to the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. If you look at the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, when we talk about and add those additions of giving thanks for good life, those are already at the end of the prayer. We already said thank you. So what I'm doing over here is, in the first part of Shemar Nesrei, I'm still begging God and asking God of what to be done. Therefore, I don't have the chutzpah to say while I'm asking to give everything. But once I've already given thanks to God, I'm not only thanking God, I appreciate, I show my recognition, I show my reciprocation, then I have the ability to ask for more. Which over here we even have something, a deeper message. What gives us the ability? What gives a person the chance to be able to live life to its fullest, to be able to appreciate and know that they are going to be confident in the verdict, that they're going to come out confident in the book of judgment, is the fact that they live a life of thankfulness. When we are able to appreciate and show our appreciation for what we have, then we are able to see the thankfulness and the blessings and everything that's given to us. That means what makes our request more effective, what makes our standing in judgment more effective, by the very fact that we are thankful to God for what He has given us. So probably the first message that we can learn from Rosh Hashanah and the first clue that we can take from here to be able to be assured for it to be inscribed in the book of life is number one, to be thankful. We spoke about it on Shabbos, that we see this actually in the Torah reading, last week's Torah reading, where we spoke about the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people when they came into the land of Israel and they produced fruit, was that they have to bring their pikurim, the first fruit of the Jewish, uh, to the Holy Temple. And when they bring their first fruit to the Holy Temple, they announce and they say, God, look what I have done to you, I'm happy and I'm glad that I was able to bring these fruits to you and thank you for whatever you gave me. And a voice of heaven comes back and says, next year we look forward to doing it again. Why all of a sudden by this mitzvah we explain, does the Rebbe tell us that all of a sudden over here there's a voice from heaven come out and say it? It's because over here you show that you're thankful, so God reciprocates in kind. When we are show that we are thankful for what we have, we are thankful for what we do, we go and step out of our comfort zone and say, yes, I am thankful, thank you so much, and I appreciate what is done, all of a sudden God reciprocates in kind as well and says, and God willing will do it again next year as well. What we see from over here, over the concept, is that we being thankful effectively changes the traje- trajectory for us of what is going to happen in the year ahead. So step number one is be thankful. A second step in assuring for a good year ahead. Again, looking at the words of the prayers in the, year ahead, in the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. One of the prayers that we say, and we mentioned it in the beginning, of the Rosh Hashanah service, and we say it numerous times during the Rosh Hashanah service, but it's mentioned especially in the Shemon Esrei. We say, Remember us for life because of you, the, the, the God of life. Now let's understand this. And we say this so many times. We said it in our Slichot, we said it a few days before, uh, just yesterday and this morning. What's going on over here? We're telling God, think about the words. Remember us for life because of you. It's like imagine you stand in front of a judge and say, Hey judge, you've got to make sure I walk out innocent in this verdict. 
because or else your name is on the line. Everybody will know that you, the judge, made me guilty. Do you think that's a winning case? That's not really a good thing, telling the guy, telling the judge or the one that's judging you, saying, you know why I should come out innocent, is because your reputation is on the line. What do you mean? I'm being judged for what I did, not for the reputation of the judge. And over here we're telling God, God, remember us for life, because God, your reputation is on the line. What do you mean, God, your reputation? In you, in the, in your, because of you. What do you mean? What does it mean, because of you? Because Hashem made us. Hashem made us. Therefore, if you're guilty, you're guilty. You're innocent, you're innocent. What does that change? Why should that change your trajectory? On the contrary. If you're innocent, if you're deserving of it, then you'll get it. You're not deserving, you won't get it. That will show that there's a fear of God. So if we look a little deeper back into the story of Rosh Hashanah, back into the story that we read in the Aftorah of Rosh Hashanah. In the story of Rosh Hashanah that we read in the Aftorah, we read a story about Hannah. There are many women throughout history, our matriarchs, who had a hard time having children. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah. And the two that we read about in Rosh Hashanah are about Sarah and Hannah. Sarah we read in the Torah reading, and Hannah we read in the Haftorah. And we also mention about Rachel in the second day of Rosh Hashanah and Aftorah, where we remember Rachel and Mavakal, but now Rachel is the one crying for her children. But in the story of Hannah, a dramatic scene unfolds. A scene where Hannah, who is a woman who has been suffering, not only suffering because she didn't have children, but the second wife of her husband was somebody who made her life truly miserable. Miserable to the extent that it some want to say in a good way because she caused Hannah to pray, but at the end of the day she would make her miserable to the extent that any time a situation would unfold, whatever the case would be, she would always find that she would always find a way to be able to make, to be able to antagonize and to say something against against, uh, uh, against, Hannah, against Hannah. So for example, whenever uh, she was be doing something for her children, if they had sacrifices for the children or whatever it may be, or the, she would say, ah, this is only for me because you don't have any children. She would find a way to dig into Hannah the very fact that she had children and she did not. And this caused, of course, a lot of pain and suffering to the extent that Hannah didn't even want to go up to the Holy Temple because they're going to have sacrifices celebrating the holiday and again it's going to come the dig and all the, the suffering that comes with it. But it comes all of a sudden, Rosh Hashanah, we see that Hannah's pain reaches a peak. She says, I can't tolerate it anymore. She goes into the Holy Temple and prays to God and asks of God, please, save me. Give me a child. And she prays. And when she prays, she's mumbling. She's speaking quietly. Not saying words out loud. Saying words softly, like speaking to herself. Ailey, the high priest, comes there and says, What, are you drunk or what? And she says, No, I'm not drunk. I'm talking because I have pain in my heart. The Talmud from over here learns five different laws pertaining to prayer. The reason why we pray today, Shmon Esrei, a silent Amida, is learned from the story of Hannah. But the very fact that Ailey accused her of being a drunk means that there was some discussion or she seemingly did something maybe wrong. And there are different ways that we learn this actual episode. Some want to say she did a very good thing and that's why we learn from her the laws of prayer. And some want to suggest that maybe she didn't do the right thing. 
and she was praying too much. And if God makes a decree, who are you to decide what your trajectory should be? You, God, decided you shouldn't have children. Done. Why do you think you're going to change the situation? Why are you praying so much? Why are you creating new methods in prayer? That was someone to say. So over here, in itself, brings us to another uh, story that we can look at the story of Chana and see that the story of Chana over here was a different discussion altogether. In fact, that the story of Chana, Rabbi Yitzchik Alfasi wants to say that the very fact that we learn from the story of Chana, many great halachot, laws pertaining to prayer, tells us that the discussion that Eli and Chana had were something of difference. Because how would he accuse her of at the same time being drunk, but at the same time we are learning many laws from it. And it must be that what Chana was doing was a beautiful prayer, and what was the argument here was something differently. And the argument was as follows. Why was Chana praying for children? What was the reason she wanted to have the children? For what purpose was her being? Ailey looked at this woman and said, one second, why are you praying for children? Only because Penina's making you problems. Only because for your own selfish benefit. You don't want children for any godly reason, so why pray to God? God decided to get her not. Go find a way. Why are you blaming God into this picture? In fact, he said, even if you are asking for children, and that is your own material selfish desire, is Rosh Hashanah the time? As we mentioned before, she was praying on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the time that God judges us. God, we're judging the entire universe, the head of the year. Find a different place, a different time to be able to pray for your own single, selfish, materialistic benefits. But Hannah turned to him and said, No, I'm not praying for children for my own benefit. On the contrary, this child will be dedicated to God. This child will be here in the Holy Temple. This child will be a godly and dedicated to all the holy work of bringing Jewish people closer to God. It's not for my benefit, it's for God's benefit. She was talking to God, saying that I'm doing this to be able to change the universe, to be able to make God's name greater, not my name greater. That was the argument here. And if it's because making God's name greater, then of course, it's a whole different perspective. What better day to be able to pray to make God's day greater than the day of Rosh Hashanah? If you're building a palace for the king, then of course you're going to get the king's expense account to be able to build that beautiful palace. Over here when I'm building, when I want this child in the universe, I'm bringing this child into the world. This is not because I want a child to deter and get away from the suffering that Panina is making me. But on the contrary, this is something to change the world. And for that she didn't only have one child, but she went on to have seven children. Because every single one of her requests was a request of asking for something greater, something more than just for herself. I heard this fascinating story that happened just recently. There was a fellow, his name is a Chabad Chassid, his name is Menachem Vahava. This happened about, uh, I would say, 15 years ago. He is a young scholar studying in Jerusalem. He was about 25 years old at the time, a young father for two children. All of a sudden, one day he feels that he can't hear well in one ear. 
doesn't know what it is. Okay, he thinks it's maybe had a cold, ear infection, who knows what. And every single day it's getting worse and worse. So he went to finally to a doctor in Jerusalem. The doctor in Jerusalem told him, it's uh, really bad. We have to take an MRI, we have to see what it is. They take an MRI and they find that there's a massive tumor, a benign tumor, but it's a massive tumor that's sitting right on his nervous system. And because it's sitting on the nerves in his brain, it's affecting his hearing. What do you do about it? The doctor said, I can't do surgery on it. It's too fragile. It's too sensitive. It's sitting on the nerves. Who knows what can happen? He went to another doctor in Hadassah Hospital. They checked it out also. And they said, there's nothing we can do about it. It's massive. It's just growing and growing and growing. True, it's benign, but it's growing and growing and growing. And it's taking over your whole system there. And it's eating away and it's sitting on the nerves. And that's why eventually you're going to see, you're going to lose paralysis and things are going to happen. He doesn't know what to do. There was a rabbi Landau of B'nai Brakunu, a doctor in California, a big neurologist, and he said, you know what? Go to California, I'll fundraise the money. It was $130,000 to be able to get this massive surgery done. Go to California and get it done. But before he was going to go to California, this was going to America. So before going to California, he's made a stopover in New York. And he was going to go to the Rebbe's Ohel to ask for a blessing for the surgery. As he's standing by the Rebbe's Ohel, his rabbi gives him a call. And his rabbi tells him as follows. He says, you know, you're going to ask God now for a blessing. A blessing to change your life, to change your trajectory. Give God a reason that you need to be here for. Don't ask for just for selfish life because you need a father for your two children. Give God a reason that you're going to make a difference in the world in a godly way. Commit to something monumental that you're going to change. He's thinking, what? What's he talking to me? I'm having surgery tomorrow. I'm thinking, you mental. What's happening? And he thinks a little bit, and he says, you know what? He wrote one book. And he was a very good author. He was learning and studying. He was very good writing. And there was a rabbi that came to him and asked him, would you write another book? He gave him an idea of a book that he needed, and he asked him if you'd write it to be able to compile it to people, to help people study Jewish law. And he kept on delaying it and pushing it off. He said, I want to study. I wasn't ready for it. And he made his commitment at that moment. I walk out healthy of the surgery. I write that book. Fascinating thing happened. As he makes that commitment, out of the blue, he gets a call on his phone from that rabbi who asked him to write the book. Called him about completely something else. And he says, by the way, I have you on the line. I want to let you know I'm committing to write that book. Thank God the surgery was successful. They came out, they were able to take everything out. They were afraid that if they touch a nerve that has to do with them breathing, you know, they can totally kill him. But they took out the, the, the mass that was there. He only walked out with a little bit of a lack of hearing in one ear, ear. But other than that, he's here today and tells the tale, printed the book and did everything it is. But what was it about? What it's telling us is that the prayer that it's showing us is that if we want to be inscribed in the book of life, in the book of health, happiness, we have to give God a reason that we should be inscribed there. Make it because of God. Zohreinu l'chayim, remember us for life, but for God's sake. Not only because of you. And when you make it for God's purpose, then automatically he has to inscribe us in the book of life. Let us think about why we want to be inscribed in the book of life. What purpose are we going to have for the year ahead? Is it only because of us? All is because of the purpose that we have, a reason to be here. Lesson number three.
or clue number three, cue number three for what we can do for the year ahead. During the 10 days of repentance, we open up the ark twice every day. And we say the prayer composed by Rabbi Akiva of Vinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. We ask of God, Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king, Kosveinu Besefer Schuyes, inscribe us in the book of merits. You say, you know God, you know that white book, that book that says that everybody gets everything, all pass? Put us in there. Now again, we have the same question. Is there any fear of judgment? Are we trying to skip the line over here? If we're sitting in the book of day of judgment, and there's a day of judgment of what happens, how do we have the nerve to ask God, just write us in the book of life. Don't worry about everything else. Don't worry about judgment. Just write us in the book of life. What do you mean? Isn't there what that judgment's all about? At the same time, we even say in the prayers, how can God have any corruption in judgment? How can there be any disgust in judgment? How can there be any perversion in judgment? We're praying that there should be no perversion in judgment and from one side of our mouth. And then from the other side of our mouth, what are we saying? Write us in the book of merits. Isn't that perversion of justice? How does that work out? At the same time is, it's like telling God, come on, we just want shortcuts. Why do I have to go work and make money? Just send me the check. In the Chavetz Chaim, he brings this question and he asks, how is it possible that we can ask God that there should be, how is there any perversion and justice at the same time asking God to just write us in the book of, of, of merits? And they give the following answer. The Chavetz Chaim gives the following answer and says as follows. A fascinating answer. And he says like this. When we're asking of God to inscribe us in the book of merits, we're in essence asking God to give us the ability to see the beauty in every in every person, to judge every person favorably. That when we see a person doing something wrong, when we see a person maybe not doing the right thing, we should be able to judge that person favorably. Sometimes it gets so difficult to be able to find the good in some people. And therefore we ask, our, we ask of God, Avinu Malkeinu, Almighty King, our Father or King, Kosvenu, inscribe us, give us the ability to see within every single person that they are in the Sefer Shuyas, that they are in the Book of Merits. How is this possible? So let's take it a, a little further. It says in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 3, Akavi bin Mahalalal says, one has to see in three things and they'll never come to do an Avera. Number one, know from where you're coming, know to where you're going, and know that eventually you're all going to have to give an accounting upstairs. And the question is, what does it mean you're going to give an accounting? Why are you giving an accounting? What is it going on here? Did they make the decree already or they didn't make the decree already? Are you behind the lines or are you not behind the lines? Like, how's it working out there? Usually you first make the accounting and then you come to a final decision. Seemingly when we came upstairs, it says they already got the decision where you're going. Why does it say, know to where you're going and know that you're going to have to give an accounting? First you make an accounting and then you know where you're going. And the Rebbe explains as follows in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, it's brought down by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And he says the following. Your accounting of others is what decides where you're going. God puts us in a situation that we should make decisions about seemingly other people 
but really we're making those decisions about ourselves. Every single soul that comes down into this world is carved out under from God's holy throne. And every single one of those souls has the power to be able to change and transform the world. And therefore, nothing can change your judgment other than yourself. The greatest angel cannot change anything of what you have to do or what your trajectory should be. Only be yourself. And therefore, the only one that can make that decision of what should be your future, the only one who has the key and the destiny to your future, to your destiny, is you yourself. How is this done? And look, there's a similar story that happened in the prophets. King David, as he gets old, and a difficult thing happened between him and David, as you know, between David and Bathsheba. And what happened was, King David sent Uriah out into the field, and he killed somebody, and he was killed, and therefore he didn't come back, and he took Bathsheba as a wife. Nasa Nanavi comes and asks King David, what do he think should happen? And the way King uh, David was presented the question, he was presented the question in a way about as if it was somebody else, a poor person that was in New Jerusalem who had only one sheep and somebody came to stay there and somebody took it. What do you say the law should be? And he gave the, gave the judgment. And with that, the judgment was so to speak given on, his, on him. So that exact judgment, King Nathan the prophet said, what you just said about that person is exactly what you just did. The same thing also the Rebbe explains to us when it says in Ethics of Our Fathers about the concept of a person first saying where he's going to be, knowing where he's going to, and only then giving an accounting means that we ourselves are giving an accounting about ourselves in this world and that's why we're destined to where we're going to go to. We ourselves make the decision of where we're going to end up. It is up to us that we decide where a person's going to go to. We're the ones that decides our own destiny. So when we ask of God, Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king, inscribe us in the book of Merits, we're telling God, please God, give us the ability that we should be able to see the kindness, the merit in every other person, so this way it should be able to reflect on us that we should also be inscribed in the book of Merits. So cue number three, in order, or point number three, in order for us to be able to be inscribed in the book of life, Look at every person favorably. Look for the best in every person, and God will look for the best in you. Inscribe those people in the book of life, and you will be inscribed in the book of life. Because at the end of the day, we are the ones that mete out our own judgment. We are the ones who decide our own fate, and we create our own destiny. And finally, the fourth level and the fourth step in creating the best life and being inscribed in the book of life. One of the most pinnacle parts of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is doing the Sanatokef. When the Sanatokef tells us about the prayer where everybody passes by God like a flock of sheep and God counts and numbers them, who shall live, who shall die, who shall be by thirst, who shall be by hunger, who should be by pestilence and all the different things that are mentioned here. And we find that it says that this one is going to be destined to death and this one's going to be destined to life. And one of the great questions that great philosophers and thinkers always used to ask is by what criteria does God determine who's going to live and who's going to die? 
How does God decide who should have be prosperous, who shouldn't be prosperous? Who should be, who should be poor, who should be rich, and all the different things? And which person's going to have a reward in the world to come, and which person's going to have a reward in this world? How does the what gauges our success and all these different ideas? And what we have over here is that the Maimonides tells us, and Nachmanides brings it down, and it's brought down in many different places, and it's brought based on the Talmud, that everything that happens in this world is measure for measure. The way we do things, God so too reciprocates in kind. The way we treat others and the way we do things for God, so too God will give us what we have. The same idea is also when we talk about if you see a person who's generous and kind, God is generous and kind with them. A person who delves in spirituality and that's his whole life and doesn't deal with physical, his blessing will be in the spiritual worlds as well. But that necessarily is not always fixed to that amount. Sometimes as well, you can have a person who does something which is spiritual and physical and therefore have a pleasure in the physical and spiritual world. But the point of over here is, the point that we're stressing is that every single one of these mitzvahs and every single one of these facts is that what the Torah is telling us is, and what the prayer is telling us, if you want to know who will live and who will die, what's the criteria? Is the criteria that you yourself decide. Is a criteria that you yourself make for yourself. That's exactly the way that God is going to reciprocate. So if we take everything that we learned today and we sum it up together, we have over here four steps in creating and being insured for a great year ahead. Step number one is to be thankful. Step number two, for the effective method in allowing us to be able to have for the year ahead to come, is to recognize to do it for a godly purpose. Not to think of about ourselves, think about why we're doing it. That there should be a greater purpose and reason or a reason of life. Think about life in a greater value. And what it has and how it can affect others. Step number three, we decide our fate by how we look at other people. And step number four, God is measure for measure. What we do, we will receive back in kind. It is up to us as we now look for the year ahead. How we know that to be able to make the year ahead a time of fullness, a time of being inscribed in peace, happiness, prosperity, we create, we set the table. We are the ones that make the entire platter that we are going to eat. At the end of the year, we now gather all our strength that we have done throughout the year, recognizing that everything we've done and we do is only to sanctify and to make God's name great. We then can be assured that as we approach in the new year, a new year looking forward to a year of redemption, a year that we'll all be gathered together and go to the Holy Land of Eretz Yisrael, as you know, as every single year has a name. The Jewish year is called 5783. In Hebrew, it's Taf Shin Pei Gimel, which can be used as an acronym to break forth from the word Pei, Poretz, to break forward from this exile. Hopefully that this year, when we do our best in these four avenues, recognizing it's for God's honor, we need Moshiach to come only for the greatness of God, only for the beauty of this universe, to be able to show God's greatness. Then we will rest assured that we will have the coming of Moshiach that already before Rosh Hashanah comes, we'll have that ultimate redemption where we'll be assured to be signed and sealed in the Book of Life. Wishing you all a ksiva v'chasima tova. We should all be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life. Good happiness and peace and prosperity. Next week, there is no class. 
But God willing, the following week before Yom Kippur, we'll have a class about Yom Kippur.